Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible conversation to share with you. This week I had the opportunity to speak with a serial entrepreneur named A.D. Pinar. A.D. is the founder of a few software companies. He's had a couple of successful exits and we talk a lot about his entrepreneurial experience in this conversation. In addition, uh, A.D. has also written a fascinating new book called Life Probability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Excess, uh, Success, Excuse me, where he covers his philosophy on what it means to be successful in this day and age as an entrepreneur. I have tremendous respect for A.D. I think he has a fantastic way of looking at things. And I had learned a lot from this conversation that I plan to implement in my own life. And I'm sure you will too. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with A.D. Pinyar. Hey, AD, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. So for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work just yet, could you tell them a little bit more about yourself and how you describe yourself? Yeah, totally. So um, I, I'm AD Pinar. I've built and sold two software companies. The first was uh, you know, WooCommerce, WooThemes, WooCommerce, which I co-founded uh, way back in 2007. Built the first product before I found my co-founders there. Um, and subsequently got into email marketing automation for e-commerce stores with a new business called uh, Converjo, which I sold about uh, 18 months ago uh, to Campaign Monitor. And then very recently got back into the software space because admittedly, like I, I can't get enough of this um, and started a new company called called Cogsy, um, which is again, building software for, for e-commerce brands. So definitely that kind of a recurring trend there. Um, and then very recently, you know, over above all the software stuff, I also managed to, to write a book called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. That's fascinating. I, I don't know how you, you have all the time for these things. I'm, I want to start first with the different software companies. So for many people who are considering entrepreneurship, they don't know where to begin. How did you land in software? How did you, do, how did you find your way to, that, uh, to those first locations? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, um, Patrick. So I think the, if I trace it all the way back and I try to connect those dots, the, the dots probably are my, my dad... Uh, my dad's an accountant by kind of you know, training his studies, but then he eventually got into uh, running computer hardware store um, before the big box retailers came in, and he specialized in like putting in like literally putting in networks for corporates and then you know, building their accounting systems, which meant that and he was a bit of a tinkerer. He could program as well. He was a bit of a tinkerer in in, in that regard. And from a young, you know, young age, having a computer in my room, for example, old, I think my, old, my first computer was a 286 back in the day and, um, you know, DOS based. And the only way to have any kind of graphical user interface um, and a menu for a young kid was to pro like, it had to be programmed. Like, there wasn't any kind of, you know, kind of a GUI kind of you built for it. Windows 3.1 only came years later. And I think like, that's the first thing was I was thus exposed to and taught how to figure things out on a computer. So <clears throat> if I kind of forecast that all the way to kind of in my university days, I eventually get to I keep tinkering with computers and software and the internet when that eventually becomes available. And um, I eventually decide I, I need a blog. All of the cool kids are, you know, they have blogs these days. I should totally get a blog. And um, I stumble into the software called WordPress. And I decide that, hey, this sounds like this could do the trick for me. But at that stage, WordPress is still very young. It requires you to kind of use it, install it somewhere um, and you know, to customize it. Like it had none of the kind of your fancy drag and drop, like point and click type editors that we have today for, you know, for both WordPress and other things. Uh, and that's like, you know, at least professionally, like that's where 
my journey into software started. Like that's where I taught myself how to code for WordPress, which eventually led me to building my, my first product that I sold uh, for WordPress. And as I said, then kind of that, that literally spiraled um, you know, into WooThemes and eventually WooCommerce. Well, what was that experience like making that first sale with a product that you had built? Could you describe that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, um, I would, I would probably use the word in, incredulous, right? Um, like thinking that, cause I made the shift. I mean, it, just prior to actually building a product that kind of, that I could sell, I was doing consulting work, you know, for clients on WordPress, which is very different, right? You, you kind of do the quote or the estimate up front, you get a deposit, you finish the work and get paid. And um, this was the first time where I built something um, and I built kind of themes or templates before and I just released it for free and then had this idea, well, what if I do this and it's slightly more advanced and I actually had to pay another programmer that was actually a proper programmer because I wasn't to build this extra functionality into the theme um, to make it sellable, in my opinion. So there is that, that notion, there was that kind of gap between like, this is me now taking a chance. I'm not guaranteed of getting paid if I do this work. And then getting that first sale, um, and but again, like I think the context here as well is, back then, um, I I definitely I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have a smartphone for that matter, right? Um, I think the, the iPhone only came out two thousand seven. So and this is like definitely before that. And by the way, iPhones definitely they weren't in South Africa by the time they reached the states, for example. So no smartphone, which meant that that sale comes through, and. I would have had to go back to my desk and check this on my desktop, like actually literally, you know, quote unquote, log on to the internet. So kind of very different experience. Um, so I probably, I think what happened, put this live, went away, um, you know, came back and there was a couple of sales there. Hence that, that feeling of like, this is that you're incredulous. Like, yes, it's somewhat expected. I, I don't think I would have done those things had, um, had I not expected it to sell, but then actually getting a first sale, like still feels like, you know, part relief, part like, yes, like I made this happen, like pride. And then, you know, then it becomes all future focused. I like, how do I double down and, you know, get more of this? I think that's awesome. Especially, you know, I, I always look for an, any entrepreneurial story, even like, you know, small and big is where was the first instance of risk? There's always in the entrepreneurial equation, there's always some instance of risk. And I love how even in this, uh, you know, sort of, event that sort of sparked things for you, that there was just that piece of risk of hiring that developer to go the extra mile. And yeah, I, yeah, 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 no, I, I, that makes a whole lot of sense. Right. I mean, I think, um, and what is interesting just in terms of risk, I think, you know, people often, you know, uh, when I tell them that I'm very risk averse, um, they're very surprised because they, they see me doing many things, but I really dislike risk. Um, you know, risk is not something that I, um, like gravitate naturally towards, um, but I'm very pragmatic about it in the sense that I don't believe that it's possible to do anything um, without taking some measure of risk. I think like being an entrepreneur is just part of um, like for me at least like figuring out what those risks are and figure out like what can I do to mitigate them. Right. So in that case, like back then, like hiring a developer especially paying like foreign currency. Like I was still a student, like that, that's literally bootstrap. That's a whole lot of money. So trying to pair that back, like bringing that, like that scope back down. So acknowledging that, yes, there is risk. I'm putting myself out there. I'm spending my money in this belief that I have that's not yet validated, um, but also trying to risk as little as possible until it is actually validated. So throughout your different ventures and uh, you know, I, I, in doing research for this interview, I read that, you know, you, you had some failures along the way, uh, in addition to the successes, how did you learn to gauge risk? Is there any sort of rules of thumb that you would use for gauging the kind of risk that you're willing to accept, especially as you describe yourself as a risk adverse person? Yeah, I think the, the best, um, like my best gauge there is probably, um, whether this is something that I'm truly familiar with or not, like, so acknowledging, um, you know, where, you know, whether it's my individual strengths or whether it's experience or whether it's network, but if there's, if there's risk and I can kind of mitigate part of that risk by either that experience, specific like expertise, friends that I know that can help out, like then that's easier. But as soon as this is a, this is a risk and it's, it's something that I know is a bit of a stretch for me, like that's really something that I kind of um, am much more cautious of. Um, and I like, I think, you know, part of 
my perspective on this is uh, a couple of years ago, just after uh, you know, kind of exiting Wii Themes with Commerce, I sat down uh, with a, a elderly gentleman, um, and he told me how he would buy and sell antique Ferraris. And like, he tells the story, and he's like, he, he says he's, he's coining it. And I'm like, I, I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, like, like that sounds incredibly risky, right? Like, how do you like buy an antique Ferrari, restore it, and you sell it for for profit? And he said. He told me, he said, AD, you can pretty much invest in any asset class as long as you know that asset class intimately. And I think like that's the thing that I understand about risk at least is, and this is not me you know, not suggesting to anyone try new things. Like a big part of what drives me is learn new things, do more things. But as I said, as soon as that goes out of that realm of where I have some like prior like expertise network whatever the you know point is then i'm definitely much more much more you know, cautious um and i'm much more reluctant to take those risks i think that's great advice uh definitely you know sort of sticking within a realm that either you have access to information there or you know people that have access to information there to help mitigate that um i'm curious what what other factors in your mind lead up to a successful venture that you've, you know, you've gone through a couple here. So what other key elements had to occur for these things to play out versus maybe the ones that didn't play out? Yeah, I think um, like, so, there's probably the, the, the more obvious things that many people would point to, right? Um, in terms of, you know, you have to have the right product. You have to figure out like who the ideal customer is, whether they're willing to pay for it, what they're willing to pay for it, whether that makes sense, all of those things, right? I think all of those things are true to some extent. Um, my, um, my, my unique take or slightly kind of different take on it is, I think the crucial thing that needs to be there for every entrepreneur is to figure out whether like this idea or this business that they want to pursue actually aligns with their highest values. And what I mean with that is like, I, I would probably, you know, any kind of your know, person coming to me and they say, saying, AD, I want to start a business. Like I, the first question I would honestly ask them is like, why do you want to start a business? Right. And like, where do you want to, where do you want to go with this? Cause I think what most people don't recognize about entrepreneurship is they, they pursue this for some measure of freedom that they're trying to get. Right, like freedom of like I want to work on what I want, when I want, with whom I want. But then they trade so many other freedoms that they had before when they didn't work for themselves, right? Um, which is you know the simplest example these days. We have we literally most of us have smartphones. We carry it in our pocket, which means we're not far away from work at all times, or at any time, right? So we trade freedoms there, and I think for many people, firstly there they're probably better served kind of you know, joining a company, joining a team that has a great working environment and solves a problem that they're interested in. So I think that's the first thing that I, you know, what I mean with like, do they, like, do you as a founder or entrepreneur align with this thing? But the other thing then like beyond that is, is to re-figure out like, if you decide to do this, like what are those important things in your life, in the rest of your life? And how does pursuing this business, this specific idea actually empower those things. And, and the reason I think that's important is as you go on the journey, there's only going to be a single common denominator and that's you as an entrepreneur. The idea might change, ultimately the team might change, um, the risk, might, you know, all of those things might change, but you're still going to be there. And if, if you can't be in alignment on step one, it is highly unlikely that you will grow into alignment kind of going, going forward, right? So that's probably, I think, you know, in, in looking at, which ideas to pursue, like that's what I try and figure out. Like, is there some measure of alignment there? And I don't think it's ever 100% clear thing, right? There's like every idea, every new business, every new project has imperfections in that regard. Like it doesn't have to be 100%, but it also can't be 10%. I don't think that's enough alignment or overlap at least. I think that creates too much friction in the medium and long term, um, which is ultimately what you need. Like you we to be sustainable to kind of you know, to last to persevere like you need as little friction as possible because business is really challenging so like how can you even from like the, the very first steps take as much of that friction out of the equation as possible 
Yeah, certainly. I think that is such a critical thing uh, that you just mentioned there about reducing friction. You know, I have this poster of Elon Musk here, my favorite entrepreneur. And, you know, he describes starting a business as chewing glass and staring into the abyss. So you can imagine something quite painful already. Uh, it's much easier if you can find as many opportunities to reduce that as possible, because it might seem like a great idea that you have tons of motivation for one day. Um, but through thick and thin, through the the good days, the bad days, you know, it can become incredibly challenging to stay consistent and stay focused on a task, um, especially as, like you mentioned, things can change, the marketplace can change, your, your risk factor can change, and a, a million things can happen that can cause you to drift off course. So reducing that yeah. friction overall, yeah, and I can personally vouch for that as well, being, you know, I, I sort of, I I am a entrepreneur of a solar company, you know, one of the founders of a solar company. And it's something that uh, each day I can sort of, you know, continue to go back to and feel good about. I'm not sure I could have the same level of enthusiasm uh, for the pain that, you know, starting a business has uh, if it was maybe in a less interesting industry, let's say. Exactly right. Because I think that's for, for me, the way I word that at least Patrick is that's thinking through kind of what, what is purpose and meaning. And like, I think those are the things that drives that conviction, like that conviction to ultimately like show up in your business and stick with it, even on the really, really, really bad days. Even when you don't know like how to solve this challenge or how to implement this thing that you know you should be doing, but you have no idea how to do it, right? I think like, you know, when the going gets tough, like if you don't have that conviction, if you only started a business because you were trying to make money, I think that's that's a very hollow thing, right? Like that's, for me, you know, that probably kind of sees more, you know, founders and entrepreneurs like fall out of that journey purely because they don't have the conviction because yes, like it is hard. I, like, and I, um, you know, Elon being a your fellow South African, I, th- I, I think I'm allowed oh, yes. to, 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 to say this, right. Um, like I, I don't fully agree with that perception, right. you kind of, you know, a chewing gloss. I think the, that's also over-exaggerated. I think there is a calmer, better way to build a business um, if you limit yourself, right? If you define what is good enough, um, so I think there, there there is a there's a measure of kind of salt that needs to be taken with a comment like that. Like one should also recognize, I think, just in that regard, like you know, Elon Musk has how many kids, and he has he has a manager for the nannies for his kids, right? Same thing with kind of your know, Steve Jobs. Like everyone said, you know, Steve Jobs compromised on family all the time, right? He he ultimately made very specific choices about his health, right? I think there are there are these mercurial kind of visionary people, but that can, can probably only do these great things because they are very specific about that, right? But I think when the rest of us, us mere mortals, look at a comment like look at a kind of you know, a quote like you know, but like building a business is like chewing glass. Like I think there's yeah. a measure of assault there. I, I I think it's a like I don't think it's that bad. And I've had really really tough days in, as an entrepreneur, right? But I think at least as I, I don't think it's that bad. But, and when it is bad or when it is challenging, like you need that conviction, right? Then it can't just be about the money or the fame. Cause those things I said, I think that's relatively artificial, superficial, hollow. Yeah. It's not quite as fulfilling. I think, you know, what you're getting at here is the, the meaning behind these things that you're, you're, you know, endeavoring upon. One of the things that uh, was interesting to me about your bio is that, you know, one of the, the first way you describe yourself on your website is a, is a family man. And so, you know, it's kind of one and the same when you're looking at like what is giving you meaning and, uh, you know, value in life and the same way as what's going to give you meaning and value of, out of an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, you know, you said that uh, to get into business just to make money is, you know, it's, you're, you're going to run out of steam with that. I mean, I, I first thing that came to my mind, it's like, that's like getting married just to have sex. It's like, you're going to run out of steam, you know, pretty quickly if that's the only, uh, you know, sort of glue to that. Uh, commitment that you're making. So for you, how do those two things intertwine between like what you've decided to do, uh, you know, in your own personal life compared to, you know, the way that you determined what's valuable to you in a business? Yeah, that's, um, so I think the first thing the disclaimer always with these things is that I am by no kind of stretch of the imagination perfect, right? So when I say I'm a family man, like part of that is aspirational, right? Which means what I mean with being aspirational is that at heart, like I am, but then I still make mistakes. There's oftentimes that I don't prioritize my family in the right way or don't prioritize my family in the way that I would want to, right? Because I also don't have my kind of your stuff figured out. So 
but the the way I think about that is, um, and I can really actually credit my my team at Converjo, where a couple of years ago we evolved our culture and the way we described our values as saying, you know, we're a family and life first company. And what we meant with that was this idea around we as a team and as individuals, we want to do stimulating, fun, challenging work that is also profitable. But we acknowledge that the most meaningful experiences that we can have are outside of work with people not that are not our colleagues, right? So, and everyone has their own definition of what family, again, air quotes means, right? Many people aren't necessarily married. They don't have kids. Like family means different things to them. Like family is just a, a kind of a catch-all word in that regard, but it really is those significant other people in our lives with whom we should have meaningful experiences. And, you know, when my team and I stumbled onto that, um, that idea, idea there is that anything we do as a team and as a company should ultimately empower every individual that's part of that journey to live the life that they want with whom they want. Like, so yes, the business asks many things of them, but it should never ask those things and not give more in return, right? And the more in return can't just be a monetary interaction because money can buy many things. Money can't buy time, for example. Yes, you can outsource certain things to some extent, but like money can't buy missing significant events when you weren't there, right? So there's some nuance to that. So I think when you're life and family first, you really need to think about like, how do I allow kind of build the work environment, build the kind of business where someone can bring their whole self to work and take their whole self back, you know, to the rest of their life. So there's this constant kind of power or energy kind of, you know, flow instead of an exchange of some sorts. Like I'm bringing kind of AD, the worker bee to work, and then I'm taking a depleted kind of stressed out kind of hollowed out version back to my family. Like that doesn't work. So that was, that is how I kind of, you see things. And that was ultimately kind of, you know, with my team stumbling onto that, that kind of vocabulary, that thinking is what led me to kind of to write my book, Life Profitability, where the idea was, how do I build a business that's not just profitable in the, in the narrow financial sense of the word, but how can I build a business that's truly kind of profitable for my whole life? And when I say kind of my whole life, what I mean there is my work, my business is just a single part of that life. My family is another, like my own health is, you know, another, the many other things there. And I need to kind of, you know, be able to build that business and work in a way that serves all of those things. It doesn't become this very, very narrow focus on just how do I push this, this boulder called business up a hill. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is, you know, being able to integrate sort of like, I, I always think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So sort of positioning that sort of in between like what you're doing with your family and what you're doing in your business to make sure that you're, uh, you're getting more out of the experience of your company, of what you offer to your employees than just compensation. You can even put like meaning on your offer letters there. You know, it's kind of like, uh, there's, there's more to the entire equation to create the right kind of balance for, uh, between the two. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I think, you know, oftentimes when I speak to, to leaders in bigger businesses, you know, corporate companies, they, um, they tell me, Eddie, that's like perfectly fine. Like for you guys to do this thing, you had a smaller team uh, for us to do this for, you know, four or 500 people, you know, 1,500 people, like it's just hard. But I think oftentimes like being able to do that is in the small things. Right. And for us, we had many parents on our team and like one of the biggest like I think things, advantages that we could offer them was if like even even with the deadline, you know, on the horizon, if a kid was sick, you go with your kid. You let the team know. You don't have to ask permission for time off. You just say, hey guys, I've got a sick kid. And everyone's just like perfectly fine. Like hope they recover, like good luck, etc. Like no questions asked. Like for me, because does that is like, and again, I totally agree. That is Mazda's hierarchy, right? Like we have different needs. And being paid, being able to afford certain things only hits some of the spots on, on that kind of hierarchy. There are other things that general kind of you know, employment does not hit, right? That I think one can augment by doing very, very small things. So that's a very, very simple example. Like for a parent with a sick kid, like that's stressful, especially if they're very sick, right? That's stressful. There's no, and there's no obvious plan B. Like, so just create that space. Like anything can wait a day or two for a parent to ultimately kind of just be with a sick kid. Yeah. It's, it's really that endless challenge between like the, 
the never ending demands of business, you know, the 24 hour clock, the, uh, you know, especially, you know, you mentioned earlier having smartphones in our pockets, like the feedback loop on, on what's happening at work is, it's much shorter, uh, than ever before. You know, it's the distance between our hand and our pocket versus, you know, in the back in the day when you had to go check your desktop, maybe see some emails. So, uh, yeah, I think that that raised an incredible point. And I'm, I'm curious now to learn more about, you know, how this way of thinking for you converted into writing. Uh, cause writing to me is a very interesting discipline overall. And, uh, you know, sort of like, where did that begin? You, you told me about the beginning of sort of your, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, beginnings, the seeds there, what were the seeds for your, for, wanting to endeavor in writing? I think <laughs> probably because I've always had an opinion about things. Um, so when I, again, I mentioned, like, I got in software because I wanted a blog, uh, which kind of, you know, by, by the very nature of that meant that I had thoughts that I wanted to publish. And you know, for anyone that, like, if you go way back, um, there's loads of my writing online that I, I'm not ashamed of it necessarily, but like you, like, you know, 13 odd years from kind of your first kind of articles or posts to what I would think and write today. Like there's a, there's a massive Delta there, um, which I, like I, as I said, I, I personally cringe when I see some of those things. So I think that's part of it is writing initially started out as, as part of that. This is me making something, even if it's just words and it's just an article, this is part of me that I'm putting out in the world. And, I think that's a part of a big part of me as an entrepreneur as well as that idea that I can create something, put myself into that thing and put it out in the world. Over time though, writing has become uh, a very therapeutic thing for me um, in the sense that I, I write much more than I publish. Um, and the probably the best thing that I ever bought was a like, overpriced, uh, definitely overpriced by the nature of like if you were to measure the specs, but a tablet called Remarkable. And I, I saw it at a conference um, and I was too shy to ask the person there, like, what the hell is this? Um, and I ultimately kind of you managed to Google it and I managed to find this thing without knowing the brand. But it's called Remarkable, Remarkable.com. And it's a it's an e-ink tablet, right? Um, and it doesn't have all the fancy things that iPad has and cost the same thing, right? So hence why it's overpriced. But what is great about that is I often use that in the morning, do some form of morning pages, right? Where it's just a stream of consciousness and I just write things. Um, I've written poetry like that. So is, this, things that I, is, is that the yeah. tool where it's just basically a screen and keyboard? So it's basically like an not, iPad, but it's just for writing. Not even a keyboard. So it just, and it has like, it has a screen um, and it has a pen and it actually feels like pen on paper. So oh, wow. for anyone that's like, that, like doesn't believe me, I said, it is, it is a expensive tool, but it's a true digital kind of your notebook. It's not that much kind of heavier than a notebook is. Um, and actually it feels like pen on paper, but everything gets digitized, right? So like, it's very, very easy. Like you never lose papers anymore, um, which is great. So I use it for note-taking and business and stuff as well. So but that's much of the writing that I tended up doing. And then every now and again, I get into these seasons on my blog, at least, where I would also publish things. With the book, though, um, I think it was... So I, I, I got to a point um, where within my team, like I wanted to take these ideas that we had with the Corrojo. And I, I think I got to a point where I'd written about 35,000 words for the book. Um, and then the business gets acquired and I suddenly have a little bit more time and a little bit more capital. And I actually hired a publishing team at that stage to help me take what I have and really turn it into a book. And that, that process ended up being a 15 month process of taking these ideas that I had. And that writing experience is totally different. I think like writing for oneself, writing for engagement, writing a book, like those different things. The book definitely was, I wanted ultimately to, you know, two things. I think like, I wanted to write a book that would inspire even you know one person to build it, you know their business in a you know, different way and build their business in a way that serves them. And secondly, for me, it was legacy. It's a, it's an artifact. Like if my if my kids, I have two young boys, six and nine. If they if they ever wanted to kind of you know retrace their dad's steps um, and literally kind of those breadcrumbs that I left them, the book would be a significant one. So like I think you know that's kind of the the why about writing there like really differs um, from like the medium, right? Um, so writing for multiple reasons, the book, as I said, was totally different consideration than 
the other writing that I do for myself and ultimately the stuff that I publish on my blog. I mean, from what I understand about writing, it's something that I, I aspire to do more of, uh, is that it's just, you know, it, it can be painstaking, whether you're writing for the, another audience or writing for yourself. Uh, it can be a sort of painful process to invoke the muses to, you know, deliver, uh, you know, sort of that stream of consciousness, get into that flow state. Um, are there any sort of, when it comes to that habit itself, is there anything that you've sort of cultivated around that to make it easier for yourself? You mentioned the technology that you use, but are there other tools or rituals associated with, with that practice? Yeah. The, the others aren't technology, technological at all. Um, red wine and Leonard Cohen, like those things generally kind of, you know, um, you know, literally kind of lubricates the emotions and, um, and those generally kind of help, um, beyond that, you know, but I think um, like two things, concrete things, um, that's not as tongue in cheek. The red wine definitely is part of the process oftentimes. But um, the two concrete things is, I think I found that when I read a lot, right, I also want to write more. Like that definitely helps because I'm constantly finding new ideas. And I also read very diversely. So in a year when I'm reading almost 100 books, for example, like say 15% of them, are business books, i.e. stuff that I work on. The rest is like fiction, any, you know, kind of fiction or philosophy um, or, you know, literally kind of anything else except business. So I'm reading, trying to read as wide, like poetry, like reading as widely as possible because I think that inspires ideas. And then the other thing is if you're, if you truly have a kind of a writing goal, i.e. you're writing either to write a book or to build an audience, the only thing that I found is to force yourself to sit down and just start writing. And like, you don't get up until you've written 500 words, whatever that kind of your target is. And absolutely do not edit it. Like it just needs to be that stream of conscious, right? Because writing and editing are two different skills. I think the, the hardest part is, for me at least, is when I, like, especially in business, right? If I know I now need to write an article about X, that takes me a lot of time. Like I procrastinate getting into it. And then I go back and forth and I start writing it because I'm filtering myself, I'm editing versus oftentimes when I've, you know, with the tablet as well, when I'm writing with my hand and I'm just doing the stream of consciousness, I write really interesting things. And then afterwards, I look at some things like, oh, these two things are somewhat related. This would now make a great blog post. And I can then take the content and ultimately edit that into something that is published that I feel is publishable, right? Which is a much, like, that's a much, much quicker process then than having kind of filtered in myself as I was initially writing and getting these, the, the ideas out of my head. So those are the two things, read more and just like force yourself, sit down and write like without editing. I love that. I'm, I'm going to certainly try that myself. And, and it's funny that you even say that about reading more, you know, I, I, feel like, as you said that, it's like, I kind of understand exactly what you mean. Sometimes when I open a new book and a new discipline or a new thing, it sort of inspires uh, a new way of thinking. It gives you a new lens to look at the world um, and can inspire you to, to want to describe the world, you know, sort of incorporating that lens into your, uh, into your, you know, mindset. Uh, yeah. For you, yeah. are there, you, you know, you also describe yourself as, as a avid reader. Is there, what are some of the, the, larger influences upon you, whether books or authors that, um, that have guided your way of thinking? Yeah. Um, so author wise, um, I, so a couple of things, names that I will, will, will throw out there. So I think, um, you know, most of the books that Ryan Holiday has written, I think is absolutely fantastic. Like, um, you know, Ryan Holiday was the one, for example, that, you know, got me into kind of stoicism, right. Um, and I did Same. significant extra reading because of, you know, because of Ryan, I think like he's great. And I also just love his writing style. Like if I, if I could write like Ryan, um, I'd be, I, well, I, I'd be a much kind of, you know, um, better known writer as well. Um, so Ryan immediately comes to mind. Um, other authors that I kind of, you know, really like, uh, a friend now, a guy called Elliot Pepper, he started writing fiction books and somewhat science fiction, but in the realm of like his first series, um, I think it was, what was it called? Out of Stock was the, I think is a trilogy. Anyway, uh, Edith Pepper and he, like it was all about this kind of you know, tech startup 
um, that gets into kind of trouble and whatnot. So that obviously immediately appealed to me. And I've since read um, at least three of his different tr- you know, trilogies, as well as one of his other books. And like he got me, he got me into science fiction, right? Like I did not read science fiction before. I don't, also don't watch science fiction movies. So Elliot Pepper. Um, and then one that I loved way more than I ever thought that I would kind of enjoy. And I so wish he would write more fiction. Um, but Alan the Bottons, um, I believe the first book is Essays of Love. And then the second one is The Course of Love or Other Way Around. Um, and it's a little kind of your know, sequel, um, you know, two-part story to it. Uh, and I just, I just love it. And I, and I so wish, I so wish I could pay Alan and he's written other things. Um, what's the, the, the school, I think the school of happiness, school of, school of life. Anyway, like he's, there's like, he's done much bigger things, I think ultimately. So he's gone down a different path, but like those fiction books definitely kind of you stand out. And then just as kind of single books that have, um, that have truly, that had a big, big impact on me uh, in the last couple of years. And I read them very close together. Um, I finally read uh, Paolo Coelho's Alchemist. I never read that before, um, but I read that. And then I read um, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And both those two stories are stories about journeys. Um, and that's pretty much all I will say about that. Um, but massive, massive, massive impact um, just on me. And I, like, I find myself, like, if you, anyone pushes me to kind of refer books, it's, it's likely like number one, Siddhartha, number two, Alchemist. You know, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, for years I had sort of dug into business books and nonfiction books nonstop. And there was just one day where I had the alchemist sitting on my bookshelf and I'm like, you know, I'd never read fiction. I've heard great things about this book. I might as well dive into it, you know, and expect not expecting anything out of fiction just from my own sort of bias towards it. And then reading it, you find that there's more, there's oftentimes more lessons, more, uh, valuable life, uh, guiding resources in a fiction book and a well-written fiction book about, especially something like a journey than you can ever get out of a generic business book. Uh, so, you know, if there are people out there listening who are experiencing a similar bias towards anything sort of, uh, outside the realm of nonfiction, it, you know, there's, there's oftentimes hidden resources in there that you could never imagine and told in a more entertaining way. Yes, right, and and I think that's the thing that we often forget, right, is that even the best nonfiction books are the books that include stories, like humans related stories, um, you know, from kind of your you know cavemen drawing, um, you know, on on kind of the walls, of the caves, and telling a story that way, like they tell stories, and I, like that, I think that's the one part of it. The other part for me, at least, is I, <laughs> I really like mislike this idea or dislike this idea of you know, kind of, you know, anyone that can propose a 10 step blueprint for me to accomplish X, Y, Z, because I think everything is like, I'm, I'm way too unique. I'm a unique kind of your snowflake in that sense. And there's no 10 step process that I can follow verbatim that is going to get me to kind of where I want to be. And I think, you know, that with that in mind, like that's all I, when I worked with my publishing team, I said, listen, you're like, there's no way that we're writing a how-to book. Like this needs to be in a book, you know, book about ideas and it needs to inspire someone to figure things out. And I think crucially with fiction, that is what it does, right? Because fiction is so open to interpretation and the reader literally goes into that story and finds what is valuable to them. Um, and very much in that kind of you know, old Buddhist kind of way of, you know, when the student, when the student is ready, the master appears, right? Like you f- probably find in a fiction book, those little things that you need to find, right? Even if it's the most mundane things, but that's what you need to kind of read and hear um, and think about at that stage. And I think that's what I love about, you know, kind of fiction. And again, like science fiction, again, like uh, for me, again, for the longest time, I was like, why would I read this? Like, I, I don't believe in, I don't believe in these things. But what I've learned is, you know, any science fiction, a good science fiction author does that same thing where they're allowing you to kind of learn things that you need to find at that stage, but they're also putting you into a future. And they're starting, like, they're, they're essentially asking you not to imagine this future that they're kind of proposing. They're just like stretching your brain a little bit into the future. And that too, like, I think is like, it's just valuable, right? Like, yes, you can be a happy human being without that. You can be a great human being without that, but that's just another way of like broadening our like horizons and has been a big part of me. Like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say bigger thinking, um, more diverse thinking or like taking a more diverse perspective on the things that I'm ultimately kind of 
you know, focused on right now. Perhaps we could call it Renaissance thinking, you know, thinking uh, more holistically with uh, different, a number of different elements combined because any sort of narrow perhapsúcar often leads to uh, a lot of dead ends versus, you know, once yeah. you can start to consider things on a wider scale can help you with your creativity and that can help you across uh, many facets of life. What are some of those, you know, you mentioned science fiction and some of, and, you know, some of the other fiction influences, but what are some of those other areas that you try to round out your thinking with? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the kind of um, some of the key, more key things that have an, had an impact on me, I think is, you know, anything in the realm of, of mindfulness, right? So mostly leaning towards kind of your Buddhism, but those ideas I think has really resonated with me in the last couple of years. Um, you're thinking about the psychology and how we work, you know, both from a, um, you know, kind of your mental point, but also the neuroscience behind things. Um, I think, I believe it's um, you know, Sam Harris's lying where, um, and I, I will totally butcher this, um, and I will not retell the whole story, but where they essentially do like split brain kind of tests on people. And that's, I think that kind of thing is fascinating to understand. Like, this is how we are wired to work as human beings, right? So understanding that and then becoming more aware of when we, like when we think we're reacting to something, we're like, no, we're just actually wired this way. So like, if we, if we wanted to change our behavior in that regard, we need to think, very differently to just saying, I should not react. I should just be more patient, whatever the case is. So anything in that realm, and as I said, like even playing into that kind of um, that more esoteric, you know, parts of science, plus the kind of more of the Eastern kind of philosophy around kind of Buddhism, um, those things I mentioned, the, the Stoics, that kind of, you know, philosophy, you know, philosophy, um, definitely kind of getting at that pragmatism, you know, from there, like, which I, um, which has been helpful for me, especially as an entrepreneur trying to, just um, regulate my own psychology. Um, that's been helpful. Uh, but then other things, I think, um, you know, it's probably just you're both. Uh, I love again, like in Buddhism, they like many people. Um, I think I first heard Alan Watts say this, but um, we only know light because we only know we also know dark, right? So that kind of contrast. And what I often love doing, um, and I mentioned Leonard Cohen earlier, like I would often at you know, kind of at night, have a little glass of wine and like have a like, shed a tear where kind of your Leonard is kind of, you know, oohing and aahing about something very emotive. And the, in reading where I've managed to go to both the kind of the, not very dark, but the very emotive places, both from kind of, you know, the best parts and the worst parts is, is poetry. I think like sometimes having that raw emotion and experiencing that raw emotion from with someone else's lens that is a built up, I think, my own vocabulary about how I feel right in this moment um, and how I can ultimately communicate those to other people. Because when I can communicate that to other people, I am helping them and I'm helping myself. Um, I'm essentially helping them help me. Right. Like, so it's very, so it sounds very self-serving, but I think, um, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful having a vocabulary to not just say, Hey, I'm pissed off because that's probably too much of a blunt instrument um, and having more of a nuanced vocabulary to truly understand how, how I feel and how I can communicate this in a way that resonates with another person or allows them to then give me the thing that I probably want, right? Like whenever we're, I think, um, experiencing any emotion in the company of another person, like we want something from them. Like that's why we're expressing that emotion. So I think being like eloquent and having the vocabulary to explain those things is helpful. And as I said, like poetry, just reading. And, and I would probably then say like more contemporary poetry as well like I um I don't like that much the structured stuff like the historic structured stuff like the more traditional stuff it doesn't resonate as much but um those things have been very helpful essentially like if there's a undercurrent there Patrick I think it's um I think it's the free like balancing some you know radical free thinking um with science like I I love that and the dots don't necessarily have to connect. I just need to be aware of all the dots. Like that's like, I will connect some of those dots and some of those dots will probably never be connected for me. And that's perfectly fine as well. But something just needs to illuminate the fact that there is a dot there that I could possibly connect. That's a very interesting way to just look at, you know, sort of the, the wide world of information out there and being able to assimilate it into your own, you know, mindset. And I, and I love the way that you describe 
uh, acquiring the vocabulary to understand things or to speak about things in a different way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to me over the years to consider how much language itself has an impact on the way that we, uh, the way that we think, the way that we're expressing ourselves and how, you know, the words that you use are really just a reflection of some deeper internal cognitive process that's happening. And so for you, is there any sort of, you know, it seems like you have an understanding of that concept and an idea very much so. So, I mean, are there, uh, are there words, are there, uh, ways of thinking that, you know, you have intentionally tried to move towards their vocabulary, any sort of like, uh, are there any words that you find extra beneficial for your, for your life? Yeah. I, I love that question. Cause I, I, I think again, like words goes both ways, right? Yes. Words are all about those people that hear them, but what we often forget is whenever we speak a word, like we ourselves hear that word too. Right. And I think like, that's where, when we impart negativity, like we're experiencing negativity as well. And I, like, there's definite power in the words there. So like a couple of things that come to mind for me, at least is, um, I, I love the, the idea of showing up, right? So whether it's in your business, whether it's, um, you know, in the rest of life, but like doing the work and just showing up, like showing up, doing the reps, uh, like that's often like much like that, having that consistency and that perseverance around that, I think is, is helpful. So showing up, um, I also love the idea of magic. I, in magic in the sense that I believe that all of us, um, not the kind of David Copperfield you know, magic, um, but magic in the the sense that we all have our unique kind of you know, blend of magic, and like it's important to to find ways to nurture that, to grow that, um, and to put that out in the world. And I think then ultimately, um, what like the the thing that drives me, and, and maybe this changes at some point in my future, but the thing that really drives me is this notion and the question that I have for myself, which is probably my version of what is the meaning of life is how do I wake up tomorrow morning and every day after that and manifest the truest version of myself? And I acknowledge that that truest version of myself will evolve and grow over time. Um, that's perfectly fine. But the key for me every day is like figuring out like, what do I need to do that day? Who do I need to be to manifest that truest version of myself? And, um, that's something that that I hold very, very, very dear to heart, like for, for multiple reasons, right? It's like, it's not just about being authentic, but it, it probably is like, I think that's the way that I can be the best human being possible, which should serve me ultimately. And, you know, all of those people around me, whether I, you know, touch them within one degree, i.e. my wife, my kids, my friends, right? Or whether it is kind of by building a business, having team, having them ultimately be able to extend that kind of outwards, that interaction that we have. So, but it really is about thinking through like, how do I wake up every single day and manifest the, the truest version of myself? I think, you know, like I, I, I completely resonate with that. I'm curious if there's any sort of, if you could dive deeper into that a little bit, as far as like, what, what are those categories? What are those uh, benchmarks that you use to determine? Like, are you uh, pushing, are you on track? you feel like you're drifting off? Like, sort of what are some of those milestones that you used to tie, you know, pull yourself back into whatever the truest version is? Yeah. Um, I think the first step is, is probably to be very cognizant of like what my highest values are. Right. So we've sp you know, spoken about kind of me being a family man. Right. Um, so when I think about my values, at least I, can probably you know make it more concrete for people and i in my book as well I, I speak about this idea of a life portfolio right and one's life portfolio is is, is really just a different way of kind of instructing your value so when i think about my life portfolio the one part that has always, always been a big part of my identity is is my work right it's me 80 as the entrepreneur 80 building businesses 80 making things like that's a big part thereof Another big part thereof is my family and my home life, right? So my wife, my kids, the the life we have at home and kind of outside our home, like that's very, very important. Then there are kind of other things, like more characteristic, you know, characteristics of, you know, of me as a person, like things that I need to nurture. So for me, that means I I want to be challenged. I like a challenge. Um, I have an absolute kind of you know, curiosity and a th a thirst for, for le learning. So I want to be able to learn new things, try new things, ultimately try and improve if I've made mistakes. So those kind of things that 
is probably part of my character. But then there's also other things there, which is, um, you know, I I want to, you mentioned wine earlier. Um, like I want to be able to geek out about wine. Like I, I love both drinking wine and understanding the making of wine and the business of wine, right? Um, I want to make time to to play FIFA on my PlayStation. It's the only game that I've played for the last 10 years, right? It's just like all of those things, like those things are obviously insignificant relative to my family, right? But those things are in that life portfolio as well. So when I'm like, I think if I go out every day and I ask myself like, what is that truest manifestation of self? Um, I'm trying to like my version, like, am I nurturing these things? Am I making the kind of the due investments into all of those things in the aggregate? So yes, like I can't like the, every day only has 24 hours and I need to sleep, you know, try and sleep for, you know, seven plus hours, eight. Right. Um, so 16 hours, like, and everything is not going to have an equal in, in an investment every single day. But when I, zoom slightly out and I look at a week, for example, I want to be hitting all of those things. And then the other component there is, I think, is is, is feedback, right? Is is trying to, for, especially for those things that can't be measured, right? So in business, it's easy to measure. Like, am I doing well here? Yes, there's profit to the end of the month, right? And I can pay my bills, et cetera. Easy to measure. Um, an idea that I stole, not I've not stolen, but I, I like the idea. It resonates in principle from my, my business coach, Dan Martell. Um, he says, he and his wife, Renee, they have a, a weekly family meeting where they mostly kind of you know, plan things for the week ahead. And one of the things they do is they rate each other both as spouse and as parents for the past week. And they rate each other and then you, you have a choice. Like, do you want qualification for that rating or are you just going to accept that, right? And there was such a, the reason I you know, sometimes bring that up in, in, in the stories I tell is that's such a creative way or a different way of like trying to measure, air quotes, measure something that is otherwise not measurable, but getting that feedback, right? Because when I say I am a family man, but then if you ask my kids like, you know, hey kids, like, is your dad, like, is he cool or is he being a dick again, right? And if they tell you they're being a dick, then I'm obviously not manifesting the truest version of myself or probably not, not to the extent that I'm thinking. So like, I think it definitely has that like personal conviction and awareness. Am I doing things that I believe I should be doing, but then also building out that kind of those feedback loops, whether in metrics or just in conversation, otherwise to know, like, am I, am I doing well in these things? Am I doing as well as I think I'm doing? Uh, the feedback loops I think is, is critically important. And if any sort of, are there any systems that you've built in your own life? Uh, you know, I, I love the example that you gave for, you know, spouse and parent to use. Is there anything that you have in your own life where you uh, are able to reflect back on any sort of like report or performance that you have uh, to give yourself that opportunity to close that loop? Yeah. Um, well, so probably my my writing. I often kind of read back the things that I wrote as some kind of you know just a reflective exercise, and I sometimes do that alongside meditation, right? Um, so not a su- super formal process, just some reflection, right? About kind of what has happened recently, and you know, every now and again I spot patterns, right? And where I see, oh, I can see now, like, and again, it's hindsight. Hindsight is exact science, but there's I think there's learning in that, and there's value in that. So I think. That's that's the one part thereof. Um, the other part for me is um, is probably where how I, as a proxy at least of how well I'm doing is I literally I I have a kind of you know, a Garmin fitness watch. Um, so I, I track both my activity there, but also my sleep. So I can at least see like if if I stop training um, and I you know don't train as often as I as I want, um, which for me is like pretty much every day. Like I'm trying to do some exercise, um, but if I'm not doing that, I'm not sleeping well that's normally an indication as well that I'm, that I'm off. But then, you know, beyond that, like literally kind of when I think about that feedback loop, I've, I've learned to firstly trust my wife that when she says, Hey, it looks like something is off, not to be defensive and like, no, 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 something is not off. Right. To, to actually investigate further. And then I probably took that to the next level and with my previous business where my best mate was also my two IC, my second in command. Right. And, similar thing like if he like after a call that we had with a big partner right he would say dude like why were you so short there or like why did you like you looked zoned out like what is up right so i think ultimately having the people in your life that you trust to call you on your your bs and say hey dude like something's off here 
Like, or you know what? It looks like something is off here. Just someone that asks you those questions and then actually being open to thinking about that, that, those questions and not jumping to that immediate defensive um, mechanism. But all of those things, like I think helps me build that kind of both the feedback in, but also then that loop because those things generally pull me out of that pattern that I'm in at that stage. If I give it enough time, I think that's the important thing, right? Is I think oftentimes there's the kind of, the red flags are there for us that something is off and we ignore them, right? Because we're bullish, we're optimistic, we're ignorant, whatever. I think paying attention then and just for a moment, standing still and saying, hey, is something actually off here? Like, should I pay more attention to this? I think that's that's incredible. I love that advice and I love that way of looking at it and giving yourself the opportunity to sort of spot the pattern, spot the trends and, and take that step back to see if, you know, step out of your own mind for a moment to see if, if the feedback that you're getting is, is actually, you know, if there's a kernel of truth in there, I think that's great. Um, I'm curious, Adia, what, what for you is, you know, on the horizon that you're most excited about, you know, it seems like, uh, you have some incredible accomplishments behind you and, and, uh, I'm sure many more in front of you. What are you most excited about right now? I think, um, probably the, the, the most holistic thing that I'm excited about is, this idea of building a new software business, right? Um, startup, another one, up, and another one, right? Um, and and many of my friends, when I when I told them I'm doing this again, they they literally asked me like, "Dude, are you crazy? Like, this is really hard." And um, I think you know part of again like part of that motivation there is I enjoy making things and I love building a team and I, I and I miss having a team, right? So that's part of the motivation. But the bigger motivation and the thing that really excites me is I having written this book now, like the last thing I want to be is a hypocrite, right? So what I would love to do is I, I would love to build my new business in a way that is life profitable. And I would love to be able to, to kind of show people and show myself for that matter, that I can apply these, these neat ideas that I, that I have. And I can do that in a way that still results in a significant commercial business. So that's really exciting because I, you know, in saying that I, I don't have all the answers. Yes. I, I have a lot of experience. Yes. I have resources. Yes. I have many ideas and, you know, there's many more th- things that I'm certain about than, you know, 13, 14 years ago when I started my kind of at least professional entrepreneurial you know, career or, or path or journey, but I don't have all the answers. And that's, that's part of what is exciting is like being on this journey again um, and having another opportunity to, to learn, other things like new things, better things. I think that's incredible. It's such a challenge. Uh, you know, it's, it's to integrate the ideas of one facet of your life into, uh, you know, building a successful commercial enterprise like you described. I think that's, uh, you probably, you definitely have your work cut out for you there. <laughs> oh yeah. I, yes. Cause I think, you know, whenever any, you know, whenever I, the people that push back on the ideas in the book, um, like the one thing I can always acknowledge, right, is that, you know, capitalism exists and it is a very black and white kind of way of kind of, you know, thinking about life. And, you know, just if you, just you as one single entrepreneur, one single business, like wanted to act differently, that is hard, right? Because your competitors don't care, right? But I think we're, you know, we're starting to see more and more, Kind of business, I think you know the one that always pops to mind you know, to me is is Patagonia, right? Is they've literally just said like, "Listen, guys, like we're not going to play by the same rules. Like we're going to do things our own way." And they're a billion dollar plus new company today. So I think we're going to see more of those things. But yes, I think it is still very very hard to try and build a significant business when like if you don't want to play by all the rules of capitalism, right? And you don't want to do like, like be very, very aggressive about all the things and, you know, trying to do a way which is calmer and probably better for your life and kind of your, the lives of your, your teammates. I I agree 100%. I think as much as it is a challenge, I I do believe it's possible. I think we're going to start to see more and more of that as time goes on. You know, we're, we're moving into a space where, you know, a digital entrepreneur has more freedom and flexibility than ever before. And there's no reason why the rules of business and, and uh, capitalism uh, cannot, you know, sort of bend uh, into the times that we're, we're moving into. So yeah. I, I uh, wish you the best of luck on that endeavor. I think uh, <laughs> I have a feeling you can, you can pull something incredible off here. Thanks. So Adia, I really appreciate your time today. I feel like I could ask you questions all day. Um, I, I have a, 
great appreciation for your, for your values and the way that you approach uh, these different problems in your life. And I'm sure the listeners do too. Um, what, where, where should people find you? Where should they stay updated with your work and where should, can they find out, uh, you know, more about, uh, all of these things that we've been talking about today? Yeah, so um, probably the best place to go is my personal website, which is adii.me. Um, I'm also adii on Twitter. That's where I'm the social kind of you know uh, channel that I'm most active on. And then my book, Life Profitability: The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success, is available on Amazon, both paperback and Kindle, as well as all major retailers. Um, you know, should be carrying it. So, um, but yeah, if you don't want to do that, then I said go to adii.me. The links are there. Um, plus, you can read all the stuff that I wrote ten years ago that makes me cringe. <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'll have to dive into that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing your, your work in the future. Before we wrap up, do you have any final asks, requests, words of advice to the audience you want to leave them with? Yeah, probably just, um, you know, just, just ask yourself, like, whatever you need to do tomorrow and whatever that kind of your goal is that you're working towards. Um, I would probably say, just look at that again and ask yourself, like, if you reach that, if you achieve that goal, like, is it really going to give you what you want from it? Simple and true. Love it, 80. Well, thank you again awesome. for your time today. And uh, and truly, I do look forward to seeing what, what else you can produce and if you're able to integrate those values into another uh, another business venture. Very exciting stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thanks so much for the conversation. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.